Welcome to The Brink of Impact, a podcast by me, Maggie Stoller, me, Rachel Whaley, and me, Chelsea Lowe, three aspiring social entrepreneurs living in Chicago. Our goal is to energize young people to build careers in social impact. We are here to interview others just starting out in the social sector to share ideas and resources for launching your career. We hope you'll continue the conversation after this episode by joining us on Twitter at Brink of Impact. In this week's episode, we talk about social impact vacations, interview Alex Barrett, a new sector fellow at Year Up, and chat about what's important to us in a workplace environment. So this week, the article we are going to discuss is from Bloomberg. It came out on May 26th. The title of the article is, The Social Impact Vacation is Here. So it talks about this new kind of tourism that's not voluntourism, but it's a group called Breakout that run trips to different kinds of areas. They've gone to Detroit and Miami and Baltimore, and it's for, I guess, younger professionals, ages 29 to 36. They talk about the breakdown of who the members are. They come from creative fields, media fields, tech. Um, 98% of them have gone to a four-year college. So it's a group of people that are probably interested in engaging and having some kind of impact. I am so curious to hear your thoughts on this. My first thought was that, like, without having read the article, like, this is awesome, how are they doing this? And then reading the article, like, oh, what is this? I'm just so, what are your initial thoughts upon reading this? I think my initial thoughts were the same as yours. Like, this sounds exciting from the general blurb, but... These people don't really have, it doesn't seem like they have any real impact in the communities that they're going to, or there's like not this room for discussion of what they got out of it. It just doesn't seem like there's enough in-depth dialogue about impact of the program. It sounds like a nice idea, you know, going to a community instead of a nice resort in Mexico, but yeah, there's just like something missing. Yeah, it seems, my first thought was like, it just seems so short term and kind of just such an insular experience. And I was really wishing as I was reading it that it was more of like a pro bono consulting sort of idea, you know, mm-hmm. a bunch of people who were, um, you know, said work in the creative industry. So maybe something like marketing, like what if they come into like a small social enterprise and they help them develop a marketing plan? Like, wouldn't that be so cool? But that didn't seem like quite what this was. And I just wanted it to be a little bit more in that direction. Well, it's interesting because... The article says, like, we are not voluntourism. However, they do talk about how, number one, there's no way to measure the impact that these trips are necessarily having unless it's measuring the effect that they're having on the participants, which is kind of like one of the things of voluntour, like the key things of voluntourism is like you're going and helping these children and photographing yourself next to like a bucket of water and like a small child. And then you're coming back and you're being like, I feel so great about myself that I did this trip. And I understand that they're kind of approaching it in a different way. They're talking to small business owners. They're like really getting to know the history of a location that they're going to. However, there's no follow-up after the trip. It seems like there's little pre-trip orientation as to like what you're going into, what issues you might be interacting with, who you're going to be talking to. And then what Im- like how can you really quantify the impact other than the effect that it really has on like the individual trip participants? I think if they had, oh, like, I guess, like how you were saying, a pre-orientation like that was more well-rounded about the culture of the place. So, like, Detroit is so, like, there's so much history there. If there was more, like, backstory and, like, more to really get them invested in the city, I think it would help to try to pull them back to maybe vacation there out, like, on their own. Um, like, that's, like, an alternative to trying to, like, beef up the program, even though it still doesn't really 
it might not do something directly for that business owner, but getting more people to um, visit the space might at least help the city like boost its tourism. I was thinking the same thing like when you were talking about how do you measure the impact, and I think, I mean, it's, I agree that it's very murky on the for the participants and for the community, but the the tourism dollars that it brings are real and measurable. Mm-hmm. And you know, if this is twenty more people that go to Detroit and stay in a hotel there and buy breakfast and dinner there and support the local restaurants. I mean, even that is, you know, is that valuable? Is that worth all of this other stuff that's going on with this? Um, I think I'm curious as to where they go from here. I think this is like introducing the social impact vacation. This could be just a fad that it like doesn't live for very long. It kind of dies down or they can kind of like learn from these errors and find ways to like, turn it into more of a pro bono consulting thing or turn it into something where the skills that they have can provide actual value to the people that they're meeting with and the location that they're going to. I think it's, I think what Chelsea said, it's like an interesting concept, it's an interesting idea, but I don't know, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens with the actual um, longevity of how the social impact vacation. This week, I would like to share the upcoming Media Mixer event from the Chicago Film Archives. Chicago Film Archives asks three artists to create an original short video using footage from the archive collections, and then three musicians record an original score to accompany the video. These collaborative pieces will be premiered at the Media Mixer event on Thursday, June 9th at The Hideout, 1354 West Wabanzia Ave in Chicago. For more information, visit chicagofilmarchives.org. Today we are here with our dear friend, Alex Barrett. So just a little background, Alex is a member of our fellowship program that Chelsea, Rachel, and I are a part of. So we all met back in September, and we've all been working um, and living in Chicago since then. Um, we're here today to talk to Alex about her experience with Europe, and we're so excited to have you. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay! Okay, so um, the way we always start our podcast interviews is we like to ask you to kind of introduce yourself, tell your story, talk about your background. Um, so where you're from, how that's kind of impacted you, maybe where you went to college, what you studied, um, just to give an overview of who Alex is. Absolutely. So I'm from the Boston area. I grew up outside of Boston and didn't really get to know Boston until I moved there for college. I went to Boston College, um, which is on the outskirts of Boston, but at the same time um, was able to start to get to know the city through um, volunteering and just excursions into the city. Boston's definitely a place that I call home, both because um, that's where I have family and friends, as well as have built a network there. So it's been really interesting for me moving to Chicago for now a year and starting to build a network and build friendships as well as um, a new career out in Chicago. So tell me more about, I know that you, we've talked about it before, your college service experiences I feel like have really shaped your decision to stay in the social sector. So talk a little bit about what kind of work you did at BC or what you majored in that kind of has shaped um, your kind of career path here. Absolutely. So I studied uh, communications as well as a business minor and a faith, peace, and justice studies minor. And so that was such a an odd combination. Um, a lot of people would give me sort of a strange look when I told them <laughs> that that's what I was studying. I actually started off in the business school because I thought that I knew I wanted to be in the social impact space and didn't necessarily have the language or the skills to know exactly what I needed 
to do to prepare myself for that. And so at the time, I was thinking I'd want to be more on the administrative side of the social impact work, um, but soon found out that business school was a little bit too focused towards uh, for-profit entities. Um, and discovered that both through classes and through my volunteer work, as you mentioned. So I volunteered all four years at Boston College through a volunteer organization called For Boston Volunteers, which sends about 500 plus college students into the city of Boston to volunteer four hours a week, um, as well as having a small community on campus to come back and talk about their service. So through that, I got to know Boston um, through a variety of different nonprofits, working with um, young children, working with children with disabilities, working with women who are experiencing homelessness. Um, and that really inspired me to continue to want to work in that space. And like I said, still in the administrative end, but got such a wide, uh, a wide view of different social issues within Boston that uh, propelled me to continue to want to work within social impact and, and to learn, learn that in a new city too, which is why now I'm in a new city. Yeah, well, we're here in Chicago with you. And I'm curious too, because I don't even think um, we've talked about this, but how did you decide to apply to New Sector? How did you end up here in Chicago? Because I know that New Sector is a national fellowship that actually has a Boston chapter. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure the decision to come to Chicago must have been intentional on your part. What was the thinking when you were applying for this? So I knew that entering, I, first off, I wanted to be in a new city, as I mentioned. I wanted to be challenged by a new space because I had been in Boston and the Boston area my whole life. Um, and beyond studying abroad, knew that I hadn't been elsewhere, I hadn't experienced any, any other place. So that was one piece in it. Um, and another piece was knowing that as a young professional entering into the social sector, that both it's hard to break into the social sector if you don't have any experience, so the, the reality of that, but also then thinking about how I'd want support in, in entering into my first quote-unquote real job um, and knew that New Sector would provide that layer of support um, in providing me uh, training and professional development in ways that I wouldn't have gained or would have had to so seek out on my own otherwise. Gotcha. So now you're at New Sector and you're placed with Year Up, which Rachel knows very well. Mm -hmm. um, she's also placed there. But your work is a little bit different than Rachel's. You're on the national programs team. So um, tell us what your day-to-day -day looks like. I feel like all I know is that you travel the world and you're always in an airport and in a different city doing this kind of work, which sounds so awesome and actually very different from all the other fellows in the program. So what is a typical like national programs associate uh, role day look like for you working with Europe? It's really hard to sort of speak about this concisely, but uh, the national program team is sort of like an internal consultant team for Europe. Europe is in 16 different cities, um, and as a reminder, it's a workforce development organization um, with, that works with young adults. And so in 16 different markets across the nation, and this team serves as a team that supports all, each of those sites. Um, and so my specific role was to, I was brought into the national program team that was just pretty brand new when I started, actually. It had only been a couple of months old, and I've been assisting within a special projects capacity. So that has meant program development and building out resources for different program staff. That's meant uh, traveling around to observe different teams, um, to train different teams on certain concepts. I'm curious what keeps you motivated when you're working in the social sector. I know that 
the pace of your work doing um, this kind of consulting project and all of the special projects that you do at Europe um, can be draining if you're traveling all the time. So what is the one thing that kind of motivates you to remain working towards social impact, however you define that in nonprofit, social enterprise space? I was, I was, I think that my motivations really just is seeking justice and that's very widespread, but I think that I look at the world and I truly believe that all human beings deserve dignity and a certain level of life quality and um, that if I can be doing, if I can be working in order to sort of move the ticker in in the right direction in any way, um, then I want to be doing that. If I wasn't working in a way that's impacting and supporting others, um, I would not feel, feel like I was in the right place. So that's really that's really my motivation. It's very that's a very big concept, but like social justice and and seeking that um, for myself and for others, I think uh, is really my main motivation. Yeah. So um, before I ask what um, what else you're interested in, can you explain a little bit more about what Year Up does, kind of on the national level, like what kind of programming that they have, and mm -hmm. then what your interest in that focus area is. So Year Up is. Like, as I said, a workforce development organization, which a lot of people, when they hear that, it's not a very common term. Um, so it's an organization that's meeting a need in the market. And so there's companies that have huge hiring needs, huge holes within their companies, um, especially in middle skills. Um, the, the organization was started 15 years ago with filling the middle skills required to, within sort of the digital boom of it started 15 years ago, so that's that's where it started, and it continues to evolve where the market need is now. Um, and the how we're fulfilling that need and also fulfilling a need that's within society is um, working with opportunity youth who, um, by definition, are out of work and out of school. Um, often that's not a definition that's all-encompassing of the identities of, of opportunity youth. And... Recognizing that there's talent at any age, at any in any neighborhood, um, with any race, that opportunity youth are are people that that very much can be fulfilling these needs in the market. So that's sort of Europe's overall um, aim is to what we call um, closing the opportunity divide. So that there's opportunities in terms of there's job openings, there's a need in in corporate America. Um, in that there's youth who are not, don't have access to these opportunities based on the structures um, in society that have played against them. So that's sort of the bigger Europe um, vision and mission. And I think that the national program team is focused within programs. So I talked a lot there about sort of corporate America and the corporation's need um, and fulfilling the market need. Um, but then there's all the programming that goes into supporting young adults to get them career, to be career ready. Um, a concept that I work with a lot is called EPIC, um, and it's something that that's sort of our bold outcomes of, in addition to ensuring that 85% of Europe graduates are employed and, um, and or seeking higher education after year up, year up they're also um, empowered, E, professional, P, in demand, and career ready. Um, and those are sort of what we're aiming towards, and that's what our program should continue to point towards. So our, the Year Up program has a lot of youth develop, development um, concepts bred into it, and I think that that's what I admire a lot about it as well, is that it's supporting each young adult 
so that they can be completely career ready at the end of their year, at the end of their year up. Um, and making sure that not only uh, saying that we're expecting a lot and have high expectations for young adults because there's no reason why we should not have high, high, have high expectations, but at the same time providing that high support as well as a program. So I think the national program team works to ensure that we're working towards epic outcomes um, and working towards that high expectations, high support in every site throughout the nation. Amazing. I feel like I'm still learning so much about Europe, and I've known you since September, and I've known that your work there has been just super interesting. I know that you're really justice-oriented, social justice-focused, so talk to me about what you do outside of work. So what kind of projects you might be working on or what issues you're really passionate about. Um, our fellowship is ending, so kind of looking ahead, what kind of work do you see yourself doing or what issues that you're engaging with now? I think something that's more in my sort of volunteer bucket of life or has been in my volunteer bucket of life and I would like to continue to stay involved with is um, working with individuals with disabilities or affected by disabilities. And that's something that I don't know if it'll creep into my work life necessarily in the future, but I've had an opportunity both abroad and um, in Boston to work with children and adults with disabilities. Um, intellectual and physical. And actually just yesterday I went to a performance in the Shakespeare Theater on Navy Pier um, put on by able actors. And so it was a performance that was with um, young people ages like eight, uh, thir 13 to 21, all with Down syndrome. Um, and so these young people with Down syndrome sort of were acting out the Twelfth Night by Shakespeare. And they had a uh, a volunteer actor with them who was all dressed in black and would, would do sort of a call and response. So if it was Romeo and Juliet, like where for art thou Romeo would be said by the, the person in black and then the young person um, with Down syndrome would re repeat that. And there's a range of abilities there. There's um, those who are nonverbal. So there's more of just sounds and, and body movements and um, expression that's expressed when they're saying where throughout the Romeo and then there's those who can articulate that and even then pr proceed on to the next line before the the volunteer actor in black <laughs> can get there um, and it was just a it was such a wonderful reminder of that uh, population that I haven't spent as much time with recently um, and I think that that's something that goes back to sort of dignity for all equality of life for all no matter your range of abilities um, and that's something I, I really have enjoyed working, working within that, that population in the past. And I think we'll continue to seek out um, in small ways. I was like really eager to potentially volunteer. They do a musical in the fall. Um, oh my gosh, Alex, get on stage. I want to see you perform next to this group. Oh my gosh. Wait, Maybe. <laughs> wait, Alex, can you share more about your experience working with these populations in the past? So your international experience and I guess what you did in Boston? Absolutely. So it actually, I feel like my different volunteer experiences, if you look at sort of the list of different organizations I've volunteered with, um, often they seem very disconnected. And I think that's something I've talked about in job interviews or things like that of like, you may look at all these organizations and why did you work with after school program and with children with disabilities and um, women experiencing homelessness, how do these all connect? And I think each experience has come at the right time for me to, to grow and learn and be challenged myself. Um, my sort of first uh, 
more in-depth experience with working with children with disabilities was at Perkins School for the Blind in Boston, Mass., um, which is the school that Helen Keller attended. It's a really well-renowned school for the blind, um, and children who are there are not just blind. It's um, There are other disabilities or other um, mental or physical uh, disabilities that affect them as well. Um, so that re- was really an impactful experience, and I volunteered in the pool. And there we there's pool classes and just would float alongside with, uh, with a... Um, one young young person or another throughout that throughout the couple of hours I was there, um, and then in terms of abroad, when I studied abroad, I volunteered with an organization called LARSH, which is an international organization with about 140 different communities, and they are communities integrated communities where members are adults with intellectual disabilities, um, and so spent two or three days a week there my time in the Philippines. Um, which was a really interesting place and way to learn about Filipino culture through um, this particular population, um, which not only experienced material poverty, but a, sort of a poverty of the body in, in through their dis- disability. Um, we did a lot of dancing and singing, um, and it was just a, it was a great experience, and I miss them a lot. Um, yeah. I see this theme of musicals and, and singing. Do you, can you tell us more about your background with... Yeah, talk about high school theater, Alex. We want to (laughs) know. So music and theater (laughs) has been a part of my life up and really up until college. I definitely found smaller ways to college and forward to to incorporate music and theater as much as I could, but has not been the passion that has has been in the forefront as much. Um, But I played piano since I was like three and a half. I taught piano um, in high school, so... That was sort of one aspect of it, but um, did, did a lot of singing in, in church and, a, and singing at school and theater and um, actually really enjoyed doing some of the directing aspects of theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so in high school, did a lot of assistant directing uh, for the middle school musicals or for the high school musicals at a certain point, um, and even wrote and performed in a musical at the end of my sort of high school experience, which was like a nice... like. <laughs> Wrap up. Oh, okay. Just okay, you <laughs> wrote a musical. Who's Lin Manuel Miranda here? Okay. Wait, this is incredible. Where can we find footage of the musical? Wait, what was it about? What was it about? Tell us. It was called Camp. It's intense. Ah, that's the name of it. That's, that's the name of it. Tell us more. Yeah. Tell us more, please. And it was so it's a musical review which okay. a review is sort of a lot of different songs or at least the way we did it was a lot of different songs from different musicals so like beauty and the beast was in there in the heights was in there like nice. all, all different pieces um sung by teenagers um a cast of about 10 people and there was then a loose storyline tied <laughs> throughout them and so my one of my good friends and I at that time we wrote that loose storyline and made sure that everyone could get a solo and did a couple of group numbers. And, um, it was all about being at camp and being a teenager and I love it. teenage so love much. and all that jazz. Uh, so cute. <laughs> that is Learning amazing. so much about you, Alex. We really are. This is so incredible. Um, so the next question we always ask everybody who comes on, but it's so important to self-prioritize in the sector mm-hmm. and, and, um, self-care is really important. So we want to know what you do um, to take care of yourself. What makes you happy? Um, and how do you make time for those things? Mm-hmm. 
I think when I think about what makes me happiest, I know I I am my complete happiness when I'm by the ocean and or with friends and family or both would be fantastic. (laughs) Um, And so I think when I think about how I've incorporated that into my life in Chicago, it's a little bit different because both there's no ocean here and a lot of my friends and family are kind of scattered throughout the country. Um, So I think that the way I've made time for both of those things and thinking about how I know that I'm happiest in those in those moments um, has been I live fairly close to the lake. So being by the just bit big body of water makes me recognize sort of my smallness and it helps me sort of center myself um, and just continuing to spend time and quality time with with friends um, and often that sometimes means on the phone now as well. So the next question we have um, is what is the last thing that you binge? So this can be like a food or a television show, Netflix, music, it can really be anything. Pretty broad. I think spring cleaning. Um, oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's like a useful binge thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I found, I recently found a bureau in an alleyway and was this weekend binge sort of painting it and and have like just been cleaning like crazy, and I think it's just the warm weather and wanting it to be sunny and clean in my house. Um, and I'm I'm a big person about making my space nice, um, so I think that sometimes when I start to get cleaning or to get organizing, I won't stop. I, I do want to talk more about kind of your interests, and every I think everybody in the fellowship can agree you are probably one of the most articulate professional. Um, people in our program and we always look to you to kind of um, as, a, as a leader we kind of see you in that like CEO role so I'm curious about what you think about your future career path and what that dream job for you might look like whether that's in five years or that's in 50 years like what you're going to be doing I think I like to have some sort of vision or goals or things that like almost like a checklist in terms of thinking about um what do I enjoy in my work now? What do I sort of seek in the future? I, To be honest, I don't think I have necessarily like a specific dream job that's within within my like field that besides maybe um, founding a nonprofit or something. So if I think about like my fantasy, fantasy world dream job um, includes working at Disney World because that's been a lifelong dream of mine. And as you know now about my musical um, and theater work in the past, um, I would love to be, they call them Imagineers where it's like the people who are engineers and they like imagine Imagineers, um, who work to design the parks and just make the happiest places on earth. And although there's certain challenges socially and how that, that, uh, company works, um, I also think taking it face value. It's just one of the most beautiful places and it just makes people happy. Um, so I'd love to be an Imagineer that part-time also plays Bell on the, in the live theater. <laughs> so that's my like fantasy dream job. And I think it has pieces of what I'd seek in my real dream job, but can't exactly articulate right now. I can see Disney being perfect for you and that incorporating into your work with children with disabilities Ooh. at Disney. Mm-hmm. And like... Yes, I'd, I'd see that dream for you. You can't see us right now. Chelsea and I are beaming as you answer <laughs> that question. We're like, yes, this is what Alex was meant to do. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. Um, and it is very dreamy, as, as it was a dream job question. Um, the last thing we want to ask you is, what resources can you share with some of our listeners? 
I think I, I have one book or sort of general resource that um, I actually recently refound again in one of the free Edgewater libraries, little mailboxes on the side of the road. It's, it's a book called The Better World Handbook. And so I think I try to think about um, how to be a conscious consumer and conscious sort of liver um, as much as I can throughout my every day. And so how do I make intentional choices? And so this book, is, it says even in the, the intro, um, which I appreciate, it's like everything we're going to talk about, you can't accomplish all of these things. You can't change your entire lifestyle so you're living out of a backpack and um, recycling everything. And it's just not plausible. But here's a range of, of things that, that you can do to change, change your little daily lifestyle pieces of, of what you're doing day to day, um, whether it's environmental, whether it's thinking about um, how to get more in, involved in advocacy in the government, um, how to you know, recycle clothing, just different pieces of, of your life that you can make adjustments within. Um, and pick and choose from there and just or how to become more more conscious about certain social justice issues too there's resources and I think it's a little outdated at this point um, but it's a good starting point so I'd, I'd definitely recommend that it's a good, it's a good read good resource yeah I want to read that now that sounds so interesting um well thank you so much Alex. Thanks, Alex I feel like this was good for our podcast but also for our friendship we learned so much about you that we didn't already know so we're so glad to have welcomed you here um, and we do hope that um, we'll, we'll expect great things from you in the future thank you so much for having me I had so much fun My resource this week is the New Sector Alliance. Rachel, Chelsea, and our guest Alex are all completing the RISE Fellowship, which New Sector runs, which is a one-year program for recent college graduates placed at work at different social impact organizations. There are four national chapters in different cities across the United States. If you are interested, feel free to check out newsector.org. My resource for this week is Girl Boss Radio, a podcast. On each episode, Nasty Gal founder and author of Hashtag Girlboss, Sophia Amoroso, interviews world-class girlbosses who have made their mark in creative, cultural, and business ventures to extract solid advice from the lessons they've learned along the way. So in today's lifestyle segment, we're going to talk about work environments. As young adults on the job hunt, we're always looking to see which organizations would be a best fit for our for us in terms of environments. So my question for you today is, if you were founding an organization, what would be one thing you would build into the culture? So I will talk first. When I think of work environment, I actually very much think of physical space. So it's really important to me if I could like build the perfect Maggie's social enterprise nonprofit organization. I think I would, I envision a space with a lot of natural light. I feel like that's really important. Um, I envision a space that is less um, different kind of uh, segmented offices, but really open um, with a lot of different desks for people to kind of collaborate at. I hate cubicles. I think they kind of like cut people off and kind of build this culture of um, 
discouraging interaction and collaboration. So I feel like Maggie's nonprofit organization would be just a really big open room with a lot of natural light and like really great um, desk space and stuff. And then I know this is like really stereotypical of probably some newer tech companies kind of on the um, entrepreneurial scene, but I really like bright colors and non-traditional workspaces. So um, I would want to have a lot of paintings on the wall. I would want to have a lot of space. I would want couches. I would want standing desks. I would want something that really doesn't make you feel like you're going into work in the traditional sense. I would want people to be excited to come into the workplace and I want it to kind of have the homey feel that is that people try to recreate in their own personal homes and apartments. So I, I think I would really want to try to think differently about how a workplace is treated and it would be like Maggie's magical colorful world. I think it would be so fun. <laughs> Um, so if I were starting a different company, so not Maggie's yes. Magical World, but uh, Rachel's uh, Social Impact Company, <laughs> I think I would really want to bake in flexibility into the work environment and culture. So flexibility to work remotely if you had the sort of job that allowed for that or flexibility with taking days off or kind of um, rearranging your hours to work on the weekends or work longer hours some days um, if that worked better with the rest of your life um, as kind of a work-life balance thing. Um, I just think that that really improves quality of life for me personally when I have a little bit of that flexibility. Um, you know, if I want to go visit my family or friends or, you know, if th when there's just other stuff that comes up in your life when you have to move, when you, you know, all these other things that happen day to day, I think um, sometimes in the work environment, it's, only about work and that's not how people's lives are. So um, I think that idea um, of just trusting people to take the time that they need and get the work done that they need to do done, um, I think that would be, so I guess maybe it's all wrapped up in like sort of trust, but I think that flexibility um, would be something really important to me. So if for my social impact business, that I would found, um, I would really value having a relationship with all of the employees. So as the executive or like the executive team, the board, ha having moments where employees can really have one-on-ones, I think is important. So if that's like having luncheons or even doing maybe a podcast or something where my thoughts could go out to the team, I think that's something that would be crucial. So they feel like they're involved and they really have access to all of the leadership. The Brink of Impact is created by Chelsea Lowe, Maggie Stoller, and me, Rachel Whaley. Check us out on iTunes, where you can find a new episode every other Monday. You can follow us on Twitter at Brink of Impact. Our music is Lazy Day by Go Soundtrack. Soundtrack.